A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to Shebna, master of the palace, I will thrust you from your office and pull you down from your station. On that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and gird him with your sash and give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. I will fix him like a peg in a sure spot to be a place of honor for his family. The word of the Lord. and wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given the Lord anything that he may be repaid? 
for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We're at a point in the Gospel of St. Matthew where many scholars refer to it as a mountaintop moment or a capstone moment. And it's because of the nature of what Jesus asked, the location in which he asked, and of course the response ultimately given by Simon, the son of Jonah. 
And it is a time in which Jesus has been establishing the reign of God. He's been teaching with great authority and great majesty. His words are grace-filled. Signs and wonders are being performed. To the extent that now when Jesus asks the question, who do the people say that the Son of Man is, there's no wonder the responses come as they do. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What all of those responses have in common are that all of those people are dead. But yet, when they were alive, they performed mighty works for God. And so, their answer reveals that people saw Jesus as someone who was extraordinary. Supernatural things were being wrought through his hands, through his words. But Jesus wants to go deeper. And he's more concerned with what those of us who we, those of us who have elected to be with him as his followers and whom he has chosen and whom he has revealed the mysteries of the kingdom to. Who do you say that I am? Now initially what, Saint, uh, what Simon responds you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ being uh, the Mashiach, uh, the Christos in Greek, the anointed of God. They knew most people expected the Messiah to come based on the prophetic teaching and the, the Word of God as it was handed down throughout the ages. But the second part is startling. The Son of the living God. No mere mortal could have come to that determination to even utter such a word unless it came from above. Remember, it wasn't too long ago Jesus offered praise to the Father in the Spirit for hiding from the learned and the clever of the world. That which is hidden from the learned and the clever, he has revealed to the merest children, namely the mysteries of the kingdom. He says, no one knows the Father but the Son, and no one knows the Son but the Father, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal. So here we have a significant thing. Jesus realizing only the Father could have given Peter the insight to reveal and say what he says. And we know that Jesus is described as having grown up in the house of a carpenter under the tutelage of Joseph. Now, we refer to it as translated as a carpenter, but the Greek says a tecton, a tecton, one who builds with stone. So when Jesus has this moment of confirmation from his father through the words of Peter, whom he would name Peter, and we know when a name is changed in the biblical tradition, it's significant. It's not just like we give somebody a nickname. No, the name change is indicative of a significant role that someone is going to play in the ongoing work of salvation. In this case, the establishment of the kingdom of God, which is in the world but not of the world. And it's important for us to realize that, that Simon won't become, a, whose name is changed to Peter, Kepha, the Aramaic is Kepha, or it's sometimes pronounced Cephas, C-E-P-H-A-S. He is not being established as the church, but as a foundation stone. 
a major stone, a keystone, if you will. And we hear that word key as important in today's scripture. We're told of Shepna, who was given position of prime minister in the kingdom of the past times. The prime minister was given the authority whenever the king was out, this person was given authority to, to act and speak in the stead of the king. And the kings of, the kings of Israel had a twofold charism. They were, to, they were to govern as a father over a family, but they were also to serve in a priestly manner as well. The priests offering sacrifices, placing themselves before the, the, the master, before the Lord, as a mediator, if you will, to connect, to be a bridge between God and the people. Shebna was derelict of duty. He began to uh, look at himself as being uh, the one, self-seeking, self-serving, so much so that he was going, he had garnered funds that he had taken and had, was having construction, a tomb that would be amidst the kings. He was, he was really feeling himself. So we hear the word of judgment in this 22nd chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he spoke the word of judgment, you shall be removed from your office. So with the removal of the person, the office, the authority still stands, but it's handed to who? Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, or Eliakim. It can be pronounced either way. But the point being, as we hear the, the exchange between Jesus and Peter, Notice the words that Jesus speaks. Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, son of John. Mere flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And so I say to you, since you've declared me to be that which no other mortal could have known unless it be given by God, my Father, I say to you, you are my prime minister. You shall be given the authority to bind and loose whatever pertains to my kingdom on earth it shall be as it is in heaven binding and loosing given to Peter and his successors now we know that every successor every visible representative every vicar of Christ that has been established by the will of heaven has not always perfectly performed their duties as Christ himself does. No one has always lived up perfectly to the totality of the, of the God-man. But that does not negate, nor does it do away with the office that's been established, that's been organized, by which the kingdom has been established. Remember Jesus in the Last Supper discourse of John's Gospel. I have longed to, to have this meal with you. You are the men who have stood by me in my trials. And so I, for my part, confer upon you a kingdom. And as this kingdom has been established, it is not to be understood as something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Remember the words of the angel spoken to the Blessed Virgin Mary at the Annunciation. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you. And the child to be born unto you shall be holy, the Son of God. And he shall be given the throne of his father David. And, his king, and as to his kingdom, there shall be no end. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus comes as a builder 
as a master builder. Who prefigured Jesus as a builder? Solomon, the son of David. He was recognized as a master builder, as one with whom wisdom was in abundance. No one wiser than uh, than Solomon, born merely of a woman. But remember, Jesus was born of the power of the Holy Spirit through the womb of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. So, of course, everyone before is pointing to the culmination of God's plan realized in Jesus. And so it took, we're told, and Solomon, mind you, built the temple. We hear this in the first book of Chronicles, chapter 3. He built the temple on Mount Moriah, the very mount that Abraham was offering, was prepared to offer the sacrifice of his son Isaac. So we hear now in this word significance Jesus building the foundation of his church, his ecclesia, the Greek, for the gathering of his people. It will be built on Peter. And we now are being brought in as living stones. Remember now, we can see so many connections to what Jesus was saying as he would speak so often about his two favorite topics, God and the kingdom therein, and what it looks like to be in this kingdom. The man who hears my word and acts upon it is the man who is wise in that he builds his house on a rock foundation so that when the storms come and buffet the house as they do in a world gone wrong in sin, the house will be buffeted, but it will stand. But the one who builds the house, who who doesn't listen to my words, who doesn't act on my word, is like one who builds a house on sand. So that when these same storms come as they do and buffet the house, the house is utterly and totally destroyed. So Jesus is a builder. He is the one who has established, who has organized the religion that is meant for us to cultivate the spirituality that God has gifted us with. You know, they have a lot of people. You ask them about their faith, and they say, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. I don't go along with organized religion, institutional church. I don't go with the institutional church. Well, that's too bad, because Jesus is the one who organized religion. And so if you're going your own way, apart from the one who alone is able to tell us all about heaven, all about ourselves in the ways in which this reality has been established by the one true God, if you're trying to do it on your own, then it's not going to end up well for you. And yet, unfortunately, many, many are traveling the world that is broad. Very wonderful trappings along the way. Many traveling the broad road. And what ends, what's the end of that road? perdition. But the narrow way discovered by few, and yet when those who discover it find it, very few are they who choose to travel. But it is the way. It is the truth. It is the life. So here we have it. Jesus 
in posing the question that he does and seeking the answer from us. It's not just to, to Simon and the, and the group. You can understand it's like a pregnant pause. It's like in a classroom when the teacher asks the question. <laughs> Everybody's holding their breath, praying to God that the one who always has the answer is going to speak now and not hold their peace, but speak. And of course, when Simon opened his mouth, no telling what the others thought. But once the words came forth and Jesus affirmed the response, it has been established. Ours is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. This is the four marks of the church. These are the birthmarks of the church. We all have a birthmark on our bodies. These are our birthmarks that constitute the, the reality of a kingdom that we are part of. We are the kingdom. And we know it's a kingdom because remember when Pontius Pilate was, in, uh, 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 he was interrogating Jesus, what do you have to say for yourself? Are you a king? It is you who say that I am a king. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. So you are a king, it is you who have said so. But if it was of this world, my subjects would be fighting relentlessly to see to it that no harm would come to me. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. And so it goes as it goes. Not of, but it's in the world. So how do we answer the question? We hear the response, the Christ, the Son of the living God. We say in our creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. But what does that mean in the day-to-day, down-to-earth, nitty-gritty matters of life? How you and I answer this question will determine how we see God and how we see ourselves in relationship to him. Is Jesus someone in whom we can trust to tell us the truth and nothing but the truth about everything we've ever hoped for or longed for? Is Jesus someone we can trust to tell us who our neighbor is, particularly when the word of God can confound us when we're told, pray for those who persecute you, bless your enemy, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn it off from the other one as well. Is he someone we can trust to forgive us our sins in word and thought and deeds? And when we don't act when we should. Is he someone we can trust to the extent that we would choose to spend our time with? if not just one day out of seven, every day of the week, and not necessarily in the formal gathering of the, of the Eucharistic assembly, but in our day-to-day -day actions and, and movements, do we see him as someone who's trustworthy of this? Is he truly the one that we can trust on the day of judgment? to acknowledge us as one of his disciples. He didn't just come to set us free from sin. He came to establish us as sons and daughters of the kingdom, heirs of the kingdom. It's ours if we choose. It takes struggle. It takes a willingness to 
to submit to the authority and to also pray for the grace to distinguish between those through whom scandals come and go from the top to the bottom of the household of God. Shebna wasn't unfortunate. Shebna wasn't the only um, unfaithful prime minister. Whatever he loses is loosed. Whatever is bound is bound. I think that's one of the most essential things that Jesus entrusts us. That's the, one of the most powerful things, the authority to the church to forgive us our sins. You know, the exorcists, the official exorcists of the church say that when we go before the Lord for the particular judgment, so there's going to be the particular judgment when you and I die before the world, if we die before the world ends, we have a particular judgment. Then there's the general judgment when everything is consummated and everybody knows who is going where and why. Who's in heaven? Who's going to hell? But at the particular judgment, the demon is there to point a finger of accusation. The exorcists tell us that the only sins that the demon, that Lucifer, is permitted to bring up in that moment, in that time of judgment, are the sins that you and I do not confess while still on this side of the kingdom. Every confessed sin with the proper disposition of sorrow and trust in God, motivated primarily, hopefully, by love more than the fear of the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, are absolved and they're off limits. You can say this is the time of discovery when you think about the court, a court case when a trial is being set up. The, the lawyers, the defense, the defense attorneys and the prosecuting attorneys have to, dis, have to disclose what they have. It's called discovery. You have to let each other know what you've got and what you're going to be presenting your case on. So everything in this time of discovery is at hand. We will not be able to plead ignorance on that, in that time. It's before us now. We have to choose wisely. If we're going to listen to the Word of God and act on it as we ought to, because it is trustworthy, Despite the fact that we have had, as I said before, popes and other leadership in the church that have brought scandal, Jesus says, scandal will most certainly arise, but do not, do not let that dis disturb you. Woe to those through whom the scandals come, but the church of Christ, the kingdom of God, still remains and will remain until it's totally consummated in the age of glory. So let us listen anew to this word today. And not for one moment put off any longer whatever we have maybe been putting off. Saying, well, I have tomorrow. I can take care of it tomorrow. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We have today. We have this present moment. The past, we can't go back and change. We give that to the mercy of God, St. Padre Pio says. The future, tomorrow is not yet born. We give that to the providence of God. We only have the present moment, which we entrust to the love of God. And there is no greater moment in which the love of God is manifested than in the Eucharistic assembly. We're going to have an opportunity to receive love, to exchange love for love. Ours imperfect, his perfect. And we know that perfect love casts out all fear. Body, blood, soul, and divinity is the nourishment is the regular diet of those who are in this kingdom 
now on earth and hopefully will participate in it in its fullness in heaven. For do we not want to hear the word spoken to us? Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter in to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. God love you.